This is episode 40 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my Extraordinary Women friends. Today's Extraordinary Women radio interview is with Alexis Kanda Olmsted. She's a social advocate and a leader focused on uplifting women's roles in leadership. With a 20-year career in higher education, Alexis brings together research from the fields of social psychology, economics, history, and biology to advance women's leadership. I love how she's weaving research into her work, and she, sh- and she shares some really interesting insights throughout our interview, how research is guiding her work. She believes that through everyday acts of courage, just taking day by day one step of courage, we can learn how to develop a new relationship with power, and we can get comfortable with fear and step into our authentic leadership. And in fact, she's so passionate about this, she's in the process of co-developing a school called the Refinishing School for Brave Women. Yes, this is a twist on the antiquated view of the old finishing schools. And it's funny because my husband and I actually own a townhouse that is part of an old finishing school in Denver from the early 1900s. He and I have actually had the conversation about finishing school many times. He loves to tease and joke on this and often will say to me, they were the schools women went to it when women needed finishing. And of course, he's saying this tongue in cheek, knowing he's going to get me to react every time. But Alexis brings this concept into the modern day age of empowering women with courage helping women let go of those old belief systems that no longer serve us. This is the re of the refinishing of of the school. So this is how she's bringing this about. It's about, it's changing and helping us come into women refinishing how we show up in the world. Alexis has a brilliant way of understanding what the research shows how we limit ourselves, how we perceive language, and her work really helps women step up and lead in bigger and bolder ways. I love this. And with the clarity of this vision, it's really exciting how the universe has gotten all in behind her. You know, this is what happens, people. This is what happens when we get clear on our purpose and what we want to put out into the world. It opens up all kinds of new possibilities, and that's what's happening for Alexis. It's so exciting. This is a delightful interview, and Alexis is a wise woman who is making a big wave of change for women and has very extraordinary ideas that will make a ripple effect around the world. My kind of woman, no doubt. Let's meet Alexis Kanda Olmsted. Well, welcome, Alexis. I'm so thrilled to have you here today on Extraordinary Women Radio. Well, it's wonderful to be here with a fellow extraordinary woman. Oh, it's so much fun to get to speak with so many extraordinary women. And we first got connected through my amazing, extraordinary niece, Tyler Jane Jones. And I'm such a proud auntie. And when she shared with me that one of her sorority sisters, Kristen Emmer Whitaker, was in the process of starting the school for women, I really knew I needed to know more about what sparked the idea of starting this school. So I was just so, so intrigued with it. 
And when I reached out to Kristen, she said, yes, she's a partner in the project, but she really wanted to make sure that I knew that this school was your brainchild, Alexis, and pointed me in your direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to be able to have the space to talk to you and learn a little a bit about how these ideas came up. I, I can't wait to learn more about what you call the refinishing school for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, really it, it comes about from the fact that I've been an educator for over 20 years mm-hmm. uh, at, at Colorado State University. And, and the idea of school seems to really resonate with women because we love to learn. I mean, the research even shows that it's kind of, it's kind of funny, but we're so invested in our self-development and our learning. And so finding a kind of a framework that would resonate with women, that was the idea of this school concept. But then beyond that, way back in the day, um, there were finishing schools. And that's where women went um, to finish their educations because they weren't expected to go to college and, and couldn't for that matter. And so at these finishing schools, the women would learn etiquette and how to host parties and how to arrange flowers and how to balance books on their heads, you know, kind of these, these really um, traditional tasks that really are preparing women to be good wives and mothers. Do you, and Do you know what's yeah. really funny is we own a rental property down in Denver and it's on a, a section in a part of town where the the finishing school was in Denver, where women would go, as my husband says, <gasps> oh my when they, when women needed finishing. Um, so right. we always have that joke <laughs> when we go down there, and he's telling people it's a, it's an old historic building, and Caddy Corner from where the 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 units are is where the school was, and the teachers all lived in the buildings that we have a rental property in. So it's really funny when I started thinking about finishing schools, I can totally envision these women, you know, what was it back in the probably early 1900s going mm-hmm. to this finishing school? I know that the building we own is, was, was built in like, I think um, 1898 or something like that. Yeah. So can you imagine what that was like in, in the heyday of Denver women going to finishing school? Right, right. It's wild. And, you know, there's, there still exist finishing schools. When I was doing a little bit of research in Europe in particular, um, and, and while they feel and, you know, very outmoded and antiquated, uh-huh. I do believe that as modern women, we go through a finishing school of sorts. And, and that's why you called it refinishing, yeah, right? refinishing school. Yeah. And you really so, emphasize that even, and you can't see that in the words that we're speaking, but when you see it written out, you have re put into like little um, parentheses, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, so the idea with a refinishing school is to look at some of the things we've been taught um, about what it means to be a woman and a mother and a wife. And all you really have to do is go to the grocery store and stand in the checkout line and look at the magazines to get a sense of all of the things that we are expected to be and do and look like. And, um, and even, you know, how we cook and decorate our homes. It, it really does harken back to this concept of, of a finishing school. And so when I work with women, especially women leaders, we have to, it's not that we're, we're abandoning all of these 
mind models. Um, there's some really beautiful things about mothering and caregiving and homemaking that I, I honor and respect as part of the female tradition. Mm-hmm. And then there are some things that are really limiting and harmful and, and potentially toxic. So trying to refinish that out of ourselves and then develop new ways of being in the world that align with um, where we want to go and, and being you know extraordinary wherever that space is, whether that's as a mother or as a working woman or whatever. And how do you take women on that journey of of reconnecting back to the the good parts of it, but letting go of some of the, the, the antiquated components of it? Sure. So there, there are a number of different steps that um, I take when I'm working with women. The first one is really around the power of language mm-hmm. and, you know, showing up female in a male designed world. We, we don't always notice it because it's like the air. We just, we think, ah, a leader is, um, is genderless, but really it's very gendered male. And, um, and when we think about words like power and confidence, those are what we would call masculine terms that don't necessarily resonate with, with women. And, um, and so trying to start with the language that we're using that is, that is working against us in some ways, that's where I start. And Mm. the first step is, is around power and, um, and I, I try to get women to see power as love, as service. When we start talking about, you know, becoming powerful, um, that that makes women a little nervous. We aren't as used to using power in a traditional kind of command and control way, but we're used to using things like love. And, and so when I can reframe language, that helps them access into some of the critical components that are related to effective leadership. The other one is fear and, um, and talking about how fear shows up differently for women than it does for men. I mean, we have these, the, you know, fight, flight, um, freeze responses that we're used to, Mm -hmm. but there are female fear responses that we're not as used to because, the world, you know, was sort of written and set up in this, in this male energy. Um, and so the female feel response can look like tending, befriending, appeasing, pleasing. So when we, when we shine a light on uh, female language and female ways of being in the world, then it's, it's almost like a flashlight. You can see, or it's like someone turns the lights on. You can see what's around you and some of the assumptions that might be holding you back. So that's where I really start is with a lot of the mind models that we've just, we just breathe like they're air. And um, we wonder why, why don't I feel confident? Well, because that's a really masculine word. Why don't I feel powerful? Why don't I want to be a leader? But when we reframe it, we give access to those, those same concepts. They're just, it's just different words. Oh, I like that a lot. You know, I, I do some teaching with my clients that that's about really embracing that feminine essence of who you are mm-hmm. and, um, allowing space for women to love on that softer, warmer, um, side of who we are as, as women. And when we really step into those gifts that we have as women, that's what, also where we can really shift and pertain, we can shift how we are showing up in conversations and leadership and, um, 
and so I like this combination of being able to really look at the, the, the context of words and how we might perceive them and, and embrace them in a new way. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And I, I think it's really putting, uh, it's just seeing the world through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And then, and then to your point, I, you know, I, I really have appreciated seeing how, because I've been a leadership educator for a very long time, seeing how the, the um, leadership theories and leadership models are really moving towards a relational leadership yes. model, you know, yes. and, and that is, it, 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 that's gendered female. Now there are, great, great male leaders who embody, you know, the feminine and the masculine. And that's the thing that I think we have to, and I'm sure you understand too, but we have to remind ourselves that we have both. It's not an either or, and, um, and it's not to the exclusion of the masculine energy. And and it's not something that is, um, it's male against male versus female. It's really just embracing the best of who we, we, each are as individuals and with knowing within ourselves, we have both masculine and feminine capabilities or, or ways yeah. of being. And we're just trying to balance that out. So I know for so many years I was in the corporate world and I know there were so many tendencies that I adopted that were very mm-hmm. masculine oriented, right? It was because mm-hmm. it was the environment that I was in and I kind of shape shifted myself to fit into that environment. Mm-hmm. And looking back mm-hmm. now, I say, you know, I think the way that I can I do that better today is that I get to be me and let my light shine as me. And in those relationships, it just becomes a much more balanced way of being versus trying to project something that we're not. And, and, and to your point, I mean, it's so freeing for men as well. Exactly. And that's what's been fascinating in my work is mm. that I have had men ask me questions or post things on my website that are, you know, blog topics. And, and they, there is this hunger and great need for men to be able to, to color with a full palette of emotional range and to have mm-hmm. permission for that. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that they've been suffering too under this, right. under this paradigm. Yeah. Right. It, 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 it's, it's freeing for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So I love this. And so what were the seeds that planted the seeds of the school that that got planted in your mind? What brought about this idea? Well, like I said, I've been working in education for a really long time. And um, I think I naively assumed that you know, my generation, uh, I'm generation X and we were, we're still, we were still kind of figuring out this whole, can you have it all, you know, mythology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I got into working with college students at the university, it was, it was, I had so much hope that they actually were going to have it all. We, we were close to the finish line, but you know, they were going to bring it across. And what was interesting is, um, when I was doing some research on college students, male and female, um, the, the women students reported higher levels of competence when it came to leadership and they're self-reporting. They don't really know they're being measured about leader. You know, are you a good leader? Yes or no. It's not that simple. It's questions about the behaviors that you use when you're working in groups and, um, and your communication style, et cetera. So they would come out rating themselves significantly higher than our male students in terms of their competence as leaders. 
that was based on their self-reported behaviors. Mm -hmm. But when we got to what's called um, leadership efficacy, so their confidence as leaders, Mm -hmm. it flipped, which is not surprising now, but back in the, in the nineties, we weren't as aware that there were these internal barriers that women were facing. And, and, and so women were rating themselves as far less confident around their leadership abilities, even though they had rated themselves more competent and the reverse was true for men. But what really startled me about these findings and, uh, was that these were, these were college women. These were women in their 18 to 22 you know, years of age. They hadn't yet gone out into the world and had the experiences that we read about in the papers or, or even just feel as women um, in the workforce. So I remember looking at those findings and just thinking, my gosh, what are we not teaching these women? What are we not preparing them for? Um, And what have they already experienced that makes them feel so unsure and full of self-doubt before they've even gotten out of the gate? So that was when I started paying extra attention to my women's students and um, really challenging them in a loving way to step into spaces that they didn't necessarily feel they had 100% of the qualifications to be doing. You know, there's that research that came out um, lately, uh, more recently, uh, women need to feel like they have 100% of the job qualifications before they apply for, for a job, and men, 50%. Um, and, and, you know, with men, it's authentic overconfidence. That's what it's actually called. It's not like they're faking it or trying to wing it. It's they just, just the world it. Yeah. that they believe in themselves. Right. And so for me, and I love that, that you said yeah. that they believe in themselves. And I yeah. th- because I think that's, that's, a, that's what we all want. We want to believe in yeah. ourselves. And so, so being able to give that to young women. So are you targeting, um, a specific age range for your school? I'm actually really targeting women who are, um, as I, as I like to say in the trenches. <laughs> so the, the college student women, they get it, I think on a kind of conceptual basis, mm-hmm. but they really are quite idealistic and it's, it's harder to get into that space and say, Hey, guess what? The world wasn't set up for you to succeed because they're just not in that place with their development. I really work with women who are professional women, who are working women, um, and a lot of them are moms because Mm. for them, it seems like that is sort of the last straw (laughs) that if they haven't broken before they had kids, you know, you have these, these little humans that you have to take care of. And really that, that very gendered experience of being female is so present just in basic things like there's, there's, you know, no paid, you know, um, parental leave in the country, in this country that you have to come back to work when their your baby's three months old and you have to pay thousands of dollars for them to go to daycare. And, um, and then they go to school and school doesn't start until nine and it gets out at three Oh seven. And you just think, what is going on? And so that's where I think a lot of women run full force into the, the brick wall of a male designed world. And so mm. that seems to be the group that, 
really resonates with the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I've worked with some women in that realm, you know, basically they're working moms, you know, in the trenches, as you said, but they have, they have kids at home. And one of the the terms that popped up for me in my mind, as you were saying that was one of the quotes that one of my clients said was, you taught me how to bend, but not break because you do have to learn to bend and move in a different way when you become a parent um, in the midst of all of the craziness of craziness of being in the trenches. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and, and even helping women see that, um, that this isn't, it's not just them. You know, a lot of women that I work with, they internalize and they think, oh, I'm just not organized enough. I'm not, you know, trying hard enough. I'm not. And, and it's like, no, there's, there's systemic things going on here mm-hmm. that are making it this is larger than you. It's your issue, but it's a woman's issue. And Mm. so try that. That's really freeing for women to not feel so much blame for their circumstances and situations. Oh, that's so good. I I really love this. I really do. So what's the big picture vision for where this is all going? So you've got, you know, you're building this right now. Where's this all going? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's, it's really funny because, you know, you're getting me at such an interesting time um, because I feel like I'm on the cusp of being a truly, you know, what you would call extraordinary woman. And so, um, Oh, I think you're there already. Oh, you're kind, you're (laughs) kind, but you know, just um, what I'm doing right now is piloting some of the activities, helping women build community with their women. So, you know, I call them their brave BFFs and mm-hmm. um, women who are their friends and also sort of their, um, oh, I'm, their people, women who, who are their tribe. I think that's, you know, the language. That's so that funny. I that's the word I was going to use. Know, yes. <laughs> what's on the tip of your tongue um, that are, are, and that are in sort of the same space in their lives. And usually we only have a few of those friends or maybe just one. But this we're finishing school concept is something where it is co-created and um, co-led to a certain extent by women with their own women, mm. and um, and so if there are if if it's a bunch of working moms, that's great. If it's women who are stay-at-home moms or some kind of in between, if it's women who, I mean, I have women who are fresh out of college, who are participating in some of these programs. So I know it translates across different ages and stages of life, but what's beautiful is I, and I do value diversity, you know, so having a cross representation is interesting, but what's really, really helpful is when we get women who self-select their group and then they tend to be women who are in, they have some commonality. So they're teaching each other and hearing each other's stories. And, and, and then, you know, with the content that I'm providing my, uh, my hope uh, and my vision, <clears throat> which is, you know, it is a scary thing to think about. And, and I think that's what Absolutely. I would just pause and share, you know, even extraordinary women are afraid. And I'd say we're probably afraid more times than not. (laughs) And if we're not, we're not stretching our our vision bigger, right? I mean, I think that's the big point is, is that we can be really comfortable and not be afraid. But if, if we're really taking an idea 
that, you know, we're attached to at our heart and wanting to put that out into the world and go make a difference with it. It is, we are going to feel fear. We are going to say, oh my God, what am I doing? And where do I take this? So I so appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because I'll talk to the women when I'm presenting and I'll say, I am terrified almost all the time. And they just laugh because they can't believe it. Right. Mm -hmm, You know, they mm -hmm. sort of, there's this thing in our culture where we want to idealize these and deify these people almost and think, Oh, they're just so, so different than me. And, and, and we're not, we're terrified just like you. It's just at a different scale or in a different space. Absolutely. You know, I, I, this is my, I don't know. I think it's probably about my 39th or 40th interview on these right now. And I've really interviewed some just amazing women from all over the place. And every single one of them laughs when I ask them the question, how often do you come in to, you know, to fear? When, when, when do you face that? And they all say mm. on a daily basis. And so I think that's the thing <laughs> that we get to learn. The, the more that we can become, be, we become comfortable of the sensation of fear, the more yeah, we yeah. can become friends with our fear and realize that yeah. it's a very natural thing, the more quickly we can move through it. But it's, it's, if we're not feeling fear, it's, it's not, it's not a good thing for us. It's good to be feeling the fear and, and, and the stretch and the push. Yeah. And I, and I love how you say, um, become friends with fear. Mm-hmm. We're, we're taught, and I do think this is again, part of our sort of patriarchal legacy that we need to overcome our fears and we right. need to banish our fears and we need to, you know, almost do battle with our fears and our fears are part of who we are. Right. And they're, and what is your fear trying to teach you? And it doesn't mean you take direction from it. I mean, there's this really beautiful book, um, that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote, um, big magic. I love and that she book talks about how, yeah, yeah. And she, and you as a writer, absolutely. I'm sure you could resonate. It's not that you put fear in the trunk, but you don't put it in the driver's seat, you know? Right. And so, um, so, you know, honoring that that's just part of the, part of the human experience, learning to get comfortable with fear. Um, you know, there's, there's so much on brain science that's coming out and, and we're, we're learning about how the brain works and that with small actions, small acts of bravery is what I call, mm-hmm. was I, what I tell women, um, you are literally overlaying wiring in your brain with, with bridges and new highways. And, um, and that I think gives women so much hope that they, that it's not so much that they, they have to become um, immune to their fears, but they can they can grow through them and with them, mm-hmm. and um, and it's not an adversarial relationship. Yeah. Right. So right. so going back to what terrifies me, uh, my my big vision for this program is really to build an actual school. And as magic would have it, I believe in magic. Um, I went on a tour. <laughs> I'm sure. I love that. Me too. That's so sweet. <laughs> we believe in magic. <laughs> That's right. So, um, I happened to meet a, yeah, I happened to meet a woman who is refurbishing an historic school in Fort Collins. And I went over there just to tour it as a potential venue. 
for women's workshops because that's what I, what I do. And, um, I fell in love with it and she was telling the story and she said, Oh yeah, this is an actual school. And it just clicked into place. So my goal is to have an actual real school where I do my programming and it's her space. And so we would be working in partnership, uh-huh. um, but it's called the Botanique Fort Collins. And it's, uh, it's going to be just this really special place with herbal gardens and spaces for classes. And, um, uh, I'm, and I'm really, really excited about that. And then going even further, I'd like us to build more schools together. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I, and I do think this is important, uh, for us to be thinking about education for women on a global scale. So Western women need to, um, to be taught how to move into their authentic, you know, selves and to do these sort of more higher order. If we look at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're looking at self-actualization, right? I mean, that's where we're at because we have so much privilege and, and power as compared to our international sisters. And then in our, in, in, in countries that are developing nations, they need literal schools, literal education, you know, with, with math and science and, and writing and all of those things. And so my hope is that we can create dual like international school sort of system that's that where we're supporting the education, although it may look very different, but it's just as potent and important in developing nations while they're teaching us resilience and and gratitude Mm. and the power that we have that we are not collectively owning and using in our what for lack of a better phrase first world nations or these industrialized nations we really were tackling more internal barriers Mm -hmm. as women western women and women in in and our developing nations are are really tackling external barriers. And there's so much to be learned from each other because it, it is a battle that must be waged on both fronts oh. in, in, for each woman. Um, and, and then literally in these different, um, different scenarios of women's experiences on a global level. So that's my hope is that we can start supporting actual real schools in developing. That's so exciting. And, and I love the, I mean, I had never actually thought about it, the differences in what, you know, our internal battles versus um, third world country external battles. And I think that's a really interesting perspective and how can we learn from each other through that? Mm -hmm. And you know, what just totally came up for me as you were saying this, um, I don't know if you know the organization, Organization Vital Voices. Do you know I, that I don't know if I do. You might. Yes. Have, yeah. yeah I, so, I might be familiar with some of it. Yeah. So one of my podcast interviews was was with the CEO of Vital Voices, Elise Nelson. And um, okay, no, I'm not. Yes, and she um, she is in D.C. She um, Vital Voices was actually founded by Hillary Clinton during the Clinton administration, and. Um, they are doing some really interesting work funding programs of women's ideas. And it's something, it's just a place you should go look um, because yeah. they actually have, um, you know, they, they do, they do funding and mentoring and um, um, helping women with brilliant ideas that are about community like this. So I think that might just be a really interesting place to, to look. Mm-hmm. I will. I will definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so really, what is it that you need to help make that vision a, a, a go for yourself? 
Well, it's kind of interesting that, you know, I am 43 years old, which I know for some people they go, oh, you're just a baby. And for others, it's like, wow, you know, and I think (laughs) I spent so much of my life in higher education doing good work. Um, But my, and my network is, I would say it's probably limited to academics, really, really super smart people who are doing wonderful research less in the field of the practitioners as it relates to women's development. And it's only recently that I've been putting myself out into that space. And I tend to be pretty quick with making great connections. And so I've been to Emerging Women. I'm not sure if you're familiar with oh, that yes. uh-huh. um, event, but you know, I did get to see Lynn Twist. I know that's someone oh, that you care very deeply for. I do. And, and yeah, and I was able to um, attend the TEDx Women that was in Denver, and that was facilitated by the um, president of the Women's Foundation. Yes, um, Lauren Castile. He got her. Yes, yes, Lauren Castile. And so, you know, so the the women that are are some of your heroes are people that I've been just very quickly connecting to, not in a literal sense, but kind of on the on the periphery, just to witness the and be in awe of what they've created. And I really try to blow my own mind models. You know, I'm so invested in, in making sure that women are challenging their mind models, but I also invested in trying to blow the doors off my own. And so, you know, really just the, the kinds of experiences I would love to learn, you know, where, where are some of those transformative experiences that I should be learning from and connecting from? I would love to learn from some of the I, I, you know, thought leader is such a analytical term, but feeling leaders in the field of women's development and, um, and finding that inspiration and the piece that's curious for me that I've really enjoyed. So I come from this academic perspective where it really is based in the science of women's development. I'm looking at social psychology and I'm looking at um, what we know around, you know, the psychology of self-efficacy. I'm looking at history. I'm looking at economics. I'm looking at things that are coming out of um, business journals. And, and what's so I guess, stunning to me is that women who are in the field doing this work, who don't have the academic background that I have, are intuitively doing the right things. Mm. And they're intuitively oh, I love targeting. That. Yes. And so what I what I really want to bring to the field is the 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 rigor and science and discipline of the art of women's empowerment. Does that make sense? Oh, it so and makes so, sense. And it's so fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and it's, yeah. and I think you're, I mean, being in Colorado, I actually believe Colorado is leading a lot of these conversations um, in large part because of the Women's Foundation, but because I think mm. we, we do have some very incredible people here in our state, um, you know, like Chantel Perere of, of yeah. Emerging Women. And it's like, it's like we have some really great leaders here. And so I, I'm excited to keep exploring this with you and, you know, see who else, you know, do you need to know in this here in our state and (laughs) where can we make some great connections? Um, Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I could just keep going on here. Um, What was, let me see, what do I want to ask you? I've got all kinds of things I'd love to ask you. Um, What was the, the defining time or situation that really piqued your interest in women's leadership? 
Oh, was wow. there something that happened that, yeah, that, that said, was. oh my gosh, I need to really put my focus on this? Yeah. You know, when I was in high school, I was um, an athlete and I, uh, my, my coach at the time, he said, you're a leader. And he gave me this little thing that was like on leadership. And I remember thinking, no, 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 I'm not a leader. I don't mm. resonate with that. And then I went on and, um, in college they said, oh, we want you to be, you know, the lead of this organization. Oh no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. And I think it was finally reflecting on my own self doubt and, um, seeing how afraid I was to move into that role Mm -hmm. that, um, made me target it, you know, and say, Hey, we need to do some work in that area. There's, there's some resistance. I'm a little stuck there and really start moving into, uh, moving into and towards power or love or service, however we want to frame that. But it was really my resistance. Isn't that true of most, most coaching things, right? right? What we resist is what we most need to learn. And, um, and even as a young woman and, even as a child, just noticing, I was really reluctant around that and wanting to poke around and figure that out. That's, that's what sparked it. Oh, that's good. And it's good that you actually tuned into it and listened to it and then, mm-hmm. you know, moved from that, took action. Yeah. Even it was the baby steps, like you were saying, taking yeah. one baby step at a time. That's awesome. That's totally awesome because it's, you know, every, you know, you think if we take baby steps every day, that's, you know, over the course of our lifetime, we make huge Huge, 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 huge changes. Yeah. Okay. So where can people learn more about you and your work and the refinishing school? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a website. It's my name, alexisconda-olmstead.com. And there is a way to sign up to get updates about refinishing school. What's really fun is right now for the next six months, we are getting feedback about what this should look like for women Um, because we really want to try to make it accessible. So this uh, kind of this online component, how do we, how do we um, help women create communities that are focused on developing their own self-leadership, self-authorship. How do we do that best? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're kind of the co-creators and builders. Um, so there's a, there's a list that they can subscribe to, women can subscribe to. And, um, and then I usually post whenever I'm doing workshops that are live and in person. So yeah, just the website, Facebook. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. Okay. And we'll, we'll put those onto the webpage where they can access that as well. Thank you. Okay. And then our final question that we always close with is what three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience today? Mm, I love that question. I I love hearing other people answer it. I think (laughs) think it's a hard one to answer. Um, I have a couple of of things. Um, I have learned that for women, self-compassion is a revolutionary act. Mm. And, and to cultivate self-compassion as part of, as being part of the resistance, because if we learn how to love ourselves, um, I, I really, I, I think we'll be pretty unstoppable. That's awesome. To, let me, let me get that again, because yeah. I think that oh, okay. was just fantastic. <laughs> self-compassion is a revolutionary, revolutionary act. act. And yeah. if we cultivate yeah. compassion, finish that again. If we're able to cultivate self-love and, and self-compassion, we are unstoppable. I believe that. I believe oh, we I love, love ourselves. Um, I'm trying to think. the Oh, just that it, 
you, you don't have to feel confident before acting that it's actually the, the inverse is true. Mm. Action breeds confidence. So nice. take brave action. That, that is how you actually become confident. That's what the research shows. Um, so, so that just makes it so much more accessible. And then along with that, I would say, do things when you're less than 50% confident. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I just go for it. Um, you would be shocked at how much you can figure out along the way and how much you actually do know and how actually, you know, how much talent you have, how extraordinary you truly are. So just raise your hand, say yes, don't hesitate. And, um, and if you, if you're at 49%, it's a green light. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Those are, those are really three great ones. Well, this has just been a, a joy. I really got, I really enjoyed getting to chat with you, Alexis. And we'll have to thank Kristen and Tyler Jane for connecting us. And um, really appreciate your good wisdom. And I just look forward to continuing to explore some of these topics with you because I think um, this is this is stuff that's really dear and near near and dear to my heart. So, thank you for sharing your wisdom today. Oh, thank you. It was just a joy to visit with you. Thank you. Okay, have a good day. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.